Welcome to episode number 103 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast where we're building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we have another replay from the Dust Safety Academy, and we have Glenn Serduk on talking about pre-planning and working with firefighters. So this is a replay of a presentation that Glenn gave inside the Dust Safety Academy over slides. However, I pulled it out and it's pretty easy to listen to without the slides as well. And I really wanted to display this important topic that we were talking about in this session. We're going to break this into two parts. And the first part of the podcast episode, I'll be going through actually giving this presentation. And the second half of the presentation we will play next week on the podcast, which we'll be going through the Q&A session. So as I mentioned at the outset, this training was on pre-planning and working with firefighters. This is important for a couple of reasons. And I'll get into it in the introduction to the training session. But firefighters often suffer the highest amount of loss from dust explosions. We also have seen that working with AHJs has really helped companies to get their DHAs accepted quickly to make sure the right things are in there. And it'll also reduce loss at these facilities because the firefighter response time is quicker. They're able to get in without as much machinery and equipment being damaged during the incident. But also, it also keeps everyone safe, including the firefighters, including the team at the company because the firefighters are able to come in and tell people beforehand what kind of things they, they need to have there. In this first part, the training that Glenn gives will cover what is pre-planning and how is it used by firefighters, how should you work with fire departments, and how does permitting and building codes work, and how does that tie in for combustible dust as well. If you want to get access to this training or any of the other trainings that we've done inside the Dust Safety Academy, including four-question framework to how to protect your dust collector, ask me anything sessions on woodworking facilities and NFP 664, electrostatic ignition sources, and more, you can go to dustsafetyacademy.com and we'll have the information on how you can join there. I'm getting a lot of great feedback, and I'll just read one of the quotes that we, we recently received from an industry participant. He said that this is a fantastic platform and conference. For me, as a subject matter guy for process safety, it was a really valuable resource I've used many times as our business raises our awareness of dust explosion hazards. Thank you for putting it together. That's the type of feedback that we strive to achieve from the Dust Safety Academy, and that's the type of resource that we're hoping to create for you, the, the listener, and the folks that are working in the dust, combustible dust community. So again, you can get this training and other trainings for combustible dust safety at dustsafetyacademy.com. And as always now, you can also download the transcripts of this specific podcast episode at dustsafetyscience.com slash 103. With that, we'll get into the live training session with Glenn Saraduke. So you are tuning in to our Dust Safety Academy training session given by Glenn Serduke, principal owner of Serduke Technical Services based out of Lakewood, Colorado. Uh, and the session is working together with firefighters and authorities having jurisdiction AHJs. Glenn has 30 years experience as a fire protection engineer. Um, he's a former firefighter and fire marshal, which uh, makes him have a, a deep knowledge of expertise in this area. He currently works in code consulting, incident investigation, systems commissioning, hazard analysis, completion review, and process safety consulting. Before I let Glenn get into this topic, I'll just mention a couple things about why this topic's important. Um, at Dust Safety Academy, at Dust Safety Science, our mission is to see one year with zero fatalities worldwide by 2038 from dust explosions. There's three reasons why this topic's really important in relation to that goal. Number one is that time and time again, firefighters are the largest group that we see suffering loss from dust explosions. So you respond to a fire, you have an explosion, firefighters and, and others, workers on the scene uh, get injured. Second reason is that if you work with your authority having jurisdiction instead of against them, 
It gives you a much better chance of addressing the hazards at your facility, but also of having your DHA, your dust hazard analysis, and your implementation plan for that DHA accepted by the AHJ. So it's really important. And the third reason is that companies have brought the fire departments, fire marshals, and AHJs in early. From our experience at dust safety science, have seen less incidents, have suffered reduced loss in terms of people, property, and facility damage than companies that don't. So I really want to encourage companies to do that, to start working with their fire departments and fire marshals and AHJs earlier in the design process. I'm sure that Glenn will be talking about all those topics in this training session. So without further ado, Glenn, I appreciate you coming on today and I'll let you go through your presentation now. Thank you, Chris. And good morning, good afternoon to everybody on the podcast. Uh, when Chris called me about uh, doing this training session, you know, I was excited because I, I feel like the issue and the challenge of working with fire authorities is something that isn't always addressed in DHAs or technical reports. And so uh, I wanted to go through today and make a case for why it's so important and also show you some of the drivers, the code, fire code drivers for proper emergency planning, which includes pre-planning with the fire authorities. So uh, again, thank you to, for, to be here this morning. Really appreciate it. And we'll get started here. So uh, a little bit of my background. I am a University of Maryland grad, 1986, a former firefighter and fire marshal. Um, also was part of the uh, FEMA uh, urban search and rescue team uh, when I was on uh, a paid department. And so I, I have a, a warm place in my heart for firefighters. And whenever I do a project, I really try to think about how they're going to respond and do they have all the right information? Because I know when an incident happens, any kind of incident, I'm not going to be there. It's going to be um, a DHA report isn't much use to them when they pull up on scene. So, so we really worked, we, we worked really hard to try to include them in the process. So goals for today, you know, uh, I want to go through understanding the responsibilities of the fire department. You know, we know what happens when we call 911 and we have a fire, we have a medical, um, but we'll talk about what their responsibilities are in relation to DHAs and manufacturing plants. Also a little bit about understanding building codes and permits and related paperwork. You know, there is a, is a process that's normal for a new operation or if you're adding on to a manufacturing facility, a new a new machine, a new a new uh, production line. There's a process for that, and we'll go through that briefly. Um, understanding inspections and approvals. We'll talk about that, and also understanding the need for and 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 the benefits for pre-planning for incidents, and what's what's that value to you as owners, uh, consultants, and uh, also to the fire authorities, and the public for that matter. So fire department responsibilities, we, we all see these folks come out and, uh, you know, their, their job is uh, safeguarding life and property from fire and explosion hazards, hazardous materials. Part of their job is to minimize damage as well. If they're properly pre-planned at your plant, they can help stop water leaks and shut valves and do a lot of things that will minimize damage and, and get your operation back up and running. But that, that is part of their job too. Um, adoption of codes, uh, whatever jurisdiction you're in, uh, whether it's in the U.S. or abroad, they typically have an, a code that's adopted uh, that becomes law in that particular jurisdiction. And uh, in the U.S. here, we have counties and states or districts, fire districts, and they typically, 95% of the districts in, in areas in the United States 
adopt the International Fire Code or another version of it. In California, it's called the California Fire Code, which is basically the international code. And so those codes kind of outline permits and the process for new projects and so forth. The other one I wanted to touch on was federally owned property. Sometimes that can be a little squirrely. The feds like to do things themselves and technically uh, fire departments don't have jurisdiction in those areas unless they have an agreement with that particular federal agency. So since we are on the on Chris's dust hazard uh, DSS, I wanted to talk about DHAs just briefly and how they tie into pre-planning and emergency planning. Of course, DHA, everybody knows, is dust hazards analysis. It is fire code required. Uh, if you go to Chapter 22 and any of the codes throughout the U.S., it references NFPA 652, which in turn requires the DHA for potential dust hazards to address them. And of course, the DHA can mean a wide range of reports, something very simple for a very simple operation to something very complex. They're required to typically be updated every five years and also existing facilities that have never had a DHA before must have one completed by September 7th, 2020. Now, now to me, that's a soft date. I wouldn't worry about that too much. If you're, if you're started on it or you're making progress toward getting that done, I think your local jurisdictions um, aren't going to come down on hard on you if you're not completed by that date. But if you're making progress and you're communicating with them, again, that's the whole idea behind this presentation is to keep transparent. So that date is coming up here soon. Uh, who is qualified to conduct DHAs and the approval process? And I think, Chris, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But obviously, you know, you need experienced people uh, that have credentials and experience in that particular industry, and they've, they've done things similar in the past. Um, and typically, fire departments, if they're requiring the DHA, will require a PE license or somebody on that team to, to take responsibility for the project in accordance with state laws. And the last bullet here, emergency planning and response is a part of NFPA 652. So you go back to chapter 22, and that's the driver, and then it goes to 652, you know, it is, it is a requirement. So it's not a, not a large piece of text in the code, but it is a requirement. So a little bit about permits and projects, very briefly here. Uh, anytime you have a, a change in a process, a new production line, or a new project, it could be a ground up building, it could be a, a renovation of an existing building, new activities, uh, new use of hazardous materials. And, and when that happens, you're required by the, the fire code to submit plans, provide some kind of code analysis, appropriate calculations if you're doing any kind of uh, egress calculations or in, in the case of a DHA, there may be calculations associated with uh, deflagration venting, for example. And then there's an approval process. So those plans go in and they, and they get approved. And then the inspectors come out and, and inspect those things. So on the slide, you can see a little picture of some sprinkler drawings here. And there's an evacuation uh, drawing there, just as an example. Why well, work closely with building and fire departments? Some, some clients I've, I've run into say, hey, we don't like when these guys come out um, to our facility. You know, they write us up, they cause problems. We like them to stay away. And, and really, it's, it's, it's the wrong attitude in my estimation. It, I, I find... And even over the last 25 years, that to be transparent with the fire authorities is the best way to go because they're the people that are going to have to respond to your fire incident or explosion uh, in the middle of the night, 
and try to minimize losses. And if they don't really understand what's at your facility and where the hazardous materials are, uh, it, it puts your facility at risk and your folks and puts them at risk. So they minimize equipment losses, minimize facility damage and protect the lives of the firefighters. And the, the, the little uh, cartoon here, um, it, it, you know, when you're a firefighter and you pull up on scene at a big facility and there's a fire, you really don't know unless you've properly pre-planned it and, you, you, and they've kept in good communication with you and, and you've done trainings together, you really don't know what you're walking into. And so this cartoon kind of shows you that, that and, and a recent example of that is in Beirut, you know, they, that particular facility, and I don't want to comment too much on that, it's pretty fresh, but obviously um, some, some pre-planning uh, would have helped there to, for the fire department to kind of know what they were walking into and uh, fire department can help you with, with dangerous situations. Maybe you have a storage situation that's, that's hazardous and has chemicals, and they can work with you to try to, try to mitigate that or, or uh, safeguard it so you don't have a large, large incident. So a couple examples here. Um, again, we're talking about pre-planning, emergency planning today. Um, here's, here's two incidents in California. Uh, the one on the top it injured seven firefighters. And the one on the bottom um, killed one firefighter and injured a number of other firefighters. And they both involved reactive metals, uh, titanium or aluminum. And uh, when they pulled up, obviously there was a fire. And so without further information or uh, they used their normal uh, suppression agents and used water, which was the wrong, wrong thing to do. And uh, in the bottom right picture, you can see where it, it uh, caused an explosion in a dumpster. It was actually a dumpster out back of the facility. So really it seemed like just an ordinary dumpster fire, but they didn't know it had titanium powder in it and uh, tailings. And so when they put the water on there, the reaction created hydrogen and created an explosion. And you can see the, the remnants or the results of that explosion that killed one person. So contributing factors, on those particular incidences, on, and on a lot of them actually that, that Chris tracks, you know, lack of wet, wet agent put onto a combustible metals fire, uh, lack of hazardous materials awareness training, no documented site pre-plan. You know, that's huge. Uh, insufficient scene size up and risk assessment. So there were some mistakes made on, on part of the fire department, but they were really put at a disadvantage inadequate disposal and storage of materials. So that's, that's where they're putting those materials that are reactive in those dumpsters out back thinking that's, that's, that's fine. But if there was a fire, the fire department needs to know that. So when they pull up with their, their truck, they can look on the pre-plan and say, oh, there's reactive metals in those dumpsters. Let's not put water on them. And so that's the idea behind pre-planning and, and working together. So how does pre-planning work? It's really pretty easy. Uh, it just it just gets pushed to the side sometimes. I think with with DHAs, they they're uh, like a very technical report, and and some of the members of DHA teams may not have the fire department backgrounds to feel comfortable interfacing with the fire authorities on on shutoff valves and access and so forth. But basically, responding vehicles have to have access to that basic information. The, uh, in the old days, when I was a fireman, uh, we used a book uh, that we updated. Now they have software that makes it much easier. Um, what basing information is needed for a pre-plan? You know, building layout, uh, Knox box location. Uh, a Knox box, of course, is, is 
where you keep all the facility keys um, and uh, the fire trucks have a special key to open that box so they don't have to break doors and, and, and damage the building. Uh, vehicle access points, you know, are there dead ends? Uh, where are the hydrants at? Location type and quantity of hazardous materials. And of course, the fire codes pretty much everywhere required what's called a uh, HMMP, which is a hazardous materials management plan, which, which requires all these, these things to be disclosed. Location of, of main fire alarm panel, location of utilities and shutoff valves, uh, facility emergency contacts. So a lot of these, this basic pre-planning information, the fire department uses on their, on their plans to put on their trucks or in their software. Now it is a responsibility of the facilities to help them with that because, you know, they're, they're busy, they're busy folks. And in my, in my estimation, internal people need to update them, you know, when things happen so they can they can do that. You really can't expect them to just come out and kind of figure out what's going on. So they usually come out once a year, typically in this country for a walkthrough. But again, if they don't understand the process or the hazards completely on some of these complex operations. So you really have to help them to understand it and understand the hazards and how they might best respond. So here's an example of, uh, you may have seen a pre-plan, but it's like maybe one page from a pre-plan. And so you can quickly look at this map if we're, we're pulling up to a, a building facility and we can tell where the FACP is, which is the fire alarm control panel. Um, we can tell where fire extinguishers are. And then the one little the hazmat symbol here, uh, that's where your, your compressed cylinders are. So we're going to want to know about that. We're going to want to keep fire away from that. So, so very quickly versus if we didn't have all this information, we really wouldn't know where those hazardous materials are. We wouldn't know where these shutoff valves are. They've got all the shutoff valves marked on here as well. And so you need to shut off the water. So that's, that's an example of a, of a nice uh, pre-plan for a building. And this happens to be, it looks like an office warehouse building, but it, you, you probably get the idea. First steps for new or updated pre-planning. If you don't know, um, if you've done any pre-planning or trainings with the fire department on access and, and, and planning for incidents, you know, contact them, set up a meeting, uh, walk through with the fire marshal. Uh, and it's not just the fire marshal, it's getting the, the stations typically have three shifts and you want to get all three shifts out. Um, um, and sometimes that requires a consultant to come in in the evening or in the nighttime to meet those uh, folks and, and walk those shifts because the fire marshal himself probably won't be on scene when there's an incident. It's going to be those station personnel. So it requires a little coordination. Uh, review their current information, what they have on file in their, in their computer, see if it matches your proposed operations or what you have. Uh, update information on facility drawings and documents for them. So you can send them documents, um, you know, PDFs or even CAD files sometimes uh, and update those. So it's pretty easy to do. And number four, you know, come back every year and review it. And, you know, if you have a safety person, EH&S person on site, maybe that's part of their scope of work or their, in their um, uh, responsibilities to do that. And, and then, of course, number five, you know, encourage everybody to develop a relationship with the fire department to work as a team to prepare for emergency events. The, uh, and that's all kind of events. It could be a medical event or it could be a dust explosion or dust explosion with medical. I mean, they, they need to know how to get into your facility, how they're going to get 
people out and transport them uh, to kind of minimize uh, losses. So that's that's super important. And um, and and of course, your local fire department. Some in some areas, you're going to have volunteer departments, and other areas, you're going to have paid departments. And uh, you know, they're all they all need that relationship to really understand your facility. Okay, resources. So so where can you get help with with how to go about this and how to connect with your your fire departments? Uh, of course, your local fire department. You know, you look them up on their website. Give them a call set up a, a walkthrough and a meeting and see what they have and see what you can provide to update them. And there is a standard out there, NFPA um, 1620 uh, on pre-planning for fire departments. And there's also an OSHA standard 364404, uh, firefighting precautions at facilities with combustible dust. And of course, the International Fire Code has some guidance in chapters, primarily chapters one, four, and five. And of course, the International Association of Fire Chiefs is a, is a good resource. They have a lot of training modules and information and qualified people. And of course, qualified fire safety consultants. I've got myself on here and I've got uh, two other companies on there that I, at least I have confidence in that have done this kind of work before as far as fire department pre-planning and emergency planning. And uh, of course, there's a lot of other qualified companies and you just want to make sure that they have the credentials and the experience, you know, and the knowledge and the background knowledge to really help you. I mean, somebody that's ex-fire department or even currently on a fire department that's a consultant is, is a real advantage. And then they, they talk the same language and they, they understand each other. So um, encourage you to uh, use those resources. And if you have questions about if somebody's qualified, I'm happy to entertain that or, or talk about that. So I want to questions and discussion. And my picture here is, is, you know, the future, you know, we're going to, we're going to have these little drones and some are, are large drones that can actually suppress fires and go in and investigate incidents without endangering firefighters. But, you know, we're not quite there yet. We are using them um, for video surveillance on hazmat incidents, but um, you know, that's the future and uh, doesn't negate that we need to do pre-planning, but, but that keeps keeps firefighters out of harm's way if we don't know what's going on. And uh, with that, I think, um, Chris, I think that's that's it. Thank you. So we're going to cut off this week's episode of the podcast there, going through that training session on pre-planning and working with firefighters with Glenn. In the training, he discussed what is pre-planning, how is it used by firefighters, how should you work with fire departments, what's the best way to do that, and how does permitting or building codes work. As I mentioned in the outset, we're going to come back on the podcast next week with the second part of this training where we go through Q&A from the audience on this topic. And we'll be covering things like what standards are there for on-site response for firefighters? How does instant command work with fire response efforts, both within companies and with firefighters? What does an effective pre-planned document look like? And other ways to work with fire marshals and AHJs in terms of your dust hazard analysis and your combustible dust planning strategies, and what kind of qualifications companies should people look for in doing a DHA. As I mentioned at the outset, you can get access to this training and all the other trainings that we do inside the Dust Safety Academy by going to dustsafetyacademy.com, while the transcripts from this specific podcast episode at dustsafetyscience.com slash 103, and we'll also have links to the Dust Safety Academy from there. So as always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Have a productive and safe week ahead, and I appreciate everything you're doing in handling combustible dust, making them safer every day around the world. 